Good afternoon and welcome to the May 8th, 2023 Major Mondays webinar. Today we're going to be talking about no double recovery, practical advice for avoiding reimbursement pitfalls. And good afternoon, everyone. There I am as usual. Uh, live question and answer, so feel free to type your questions into the uh, go to webinar box and we'll get to them at the end if you have any. So before I dive in here, I just kind of want to explain what this is. So uh, we're going to assume that you know the basics for Section 29 and Section 40 already. Um, this isn't going to be the in-depth dive. We've had a couple of webinars on those topics already. This is intended to be, you know, a practical 201 level, if you will, uh, advice session about how to make sure, you know, we're getting the maximum back that we can when we assert a lien on a third-party action. We're not going into credit and offset rights, except you know, just with little references here and there. This is really just about practically what you can do to avoid having the claimant or petitioner get a double recovery. So I just wanted to point out just how strong these rights are in both states. Uh, you know, New York Section 29 gives us a lien on a third-party recovery, less cost of litigation per Kelly versus State Insurance Fund. That usually shakes out to be about a third to 36%, somewhere in that range, unless it's a smaller settlement. Uh, New Jersey Section 40 gives us a lien on the third-party recovery or a functionally equivalent source, that's for Fraser versus NJM, less a maximum, italicized for a reason, one-third for attorney's fee, and maximum 750 for expenses of suit. Uh, nowadays, 750 for expenses of suit is pretty darn low, um, but hey, it's up to the legislature to amend it, right? It's a windfall for us, and we're not going to dispute it. All right, no double recovery. This is why we're here today. So uh, I just cited to some pretty powerful language from some various cases across both jurisdictions. Uh, Section 29 clearly reveals a legislative design to provide for reimbursement of the comp carrier whenever recovery is obtained in tort for the same injury that was a predicate for payment of comp benefits. Uh, matter of Granger versus Erda says that an inviolable lien attaches to any recovery obtained by the claimant. Um, Due to the enactment of Section 29.1a, uh, the matter of Granger versus Erda ultimately does get overturned, um, but every court that discusses, you know, how powerful the lien is still cites that inviolable language. Um, and Section 40 re reflects a very strong legislative determination uh, that injured workers are not entitled to double recovery, which occurs uh, when the employee keeps any workers' comp benefits that have been matched by recovery against the liable third person, even if the two combined would leave the employee less than fully compensated. Uh, so Frazier versus NJM allows a lien on a functionally equivalent source, even when the employee is not fully compensated. In other words, there's no such thing as the made whole doctrine. You can't reduce the lien just so that the plaintiff or employee can recover more. All right, what do we need to get it right? Well, this is the really, really, really bare bones version, but um, I tried to get it down to bullet points here. Uh, the current lien with a payment ledger. Why do we need the ledger? Well, some expenses are impermissible, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, two, a means of avoiding the lien changing while the settlement is pending. So uh, the way a third-party settlement will typically work is the parties will agree to a number over the phone or at mediation or arbitration or via email, uh, but then the plaintiff still has to sign off on a general liability release. You know, uh, forms W-9 are swapped, uh, the check has to be issued, then it goes into trust uh, or it goes into the attorney trust account, uh, and then they issue the disbursements and the claimant has to sign a closing statement, yada, yada, yada. So while all of that is going on, uh, we're in some instances continuing to pay comp benefits. So what we typically like to do is once we have a number on the table and, you know, they're asking us what's your reimbursement amount, um, that's the time to hammer out an agreement to either reduce to the one-third rate immediately, 
uh, or suspend benefits entirely if they'll go for it, because that allows you to freeze the lien reimbursement as what, at what it is at the time they request your consent to settle, um, and then it avoids the amount changing uh, while you take your offset rights while the third-party settlement is pending. So uh, I do recommend agreeing to that in writing ASAP as soon as you know about the third-party settlement. Uh, three, this is a big one, a proposed closing statement before, so we can do our calculations, and a final closing statement after, so we can make sure that they didn't swap the numbers around on us. Um, agree to terms with third-party counsel, we just sort of talked about that, you want to get something in writing, uh, and you want to hammer out what the lien reimbursement is and how your offset rights are going to apply. Uh, and then a written agreement memorializing all terms. Uh, they do not need our written consent to settle in New Jersey. That does not matter. Uh, I would absolutely, and we do this in our office, send a confirmatory letter anyway. You don't want any misunderstandings about this if there are any disputes in the future. So let's start diving into the pitfalls, the reason we're all here. Uh, I will not belabor this slide too much. It's the various statute, statutes of limitations. The big ones you got to know about, three years for personal injury uh, in New York, two years in New Jersey. Uh, more often than not, that's going to be what you're working with. Uh, loss transfer is three years from the date of each payment. The only thing I really want to point out here um, that uh, you can see I underlined on the slide here, uh, there's an abbreviated uh, statute of limitations for public entities in New York. Uh, you need to notice a claim within the first 90 days, and then the uh, statute of limitations is a year and 90 days after for municipal entities, uh, or a 90-day notice of intent, or actually filing the claim itself, and a two-year SOL for claims against the state of New York that you're bringing in the Court of Claims. Uh, New Jersey does not permit Section 40 rights on Title 59 claims, i.e. suits against public entities, so this is a New York exclusive. The reason why I'm bringing this up is the law says that somebody, uh, whether it's the claimant and we inherit the right via assignment, or the carrier does it just to cover their butt, somebody has to file a notice of claim within the first 90 days, or you're gonna need leave from the court to file a late one. But even if, you know, subrogation is not gonna be effective yet. You need to wait a year or six months after the awarding of compensation. And the law says that doesn't matter. Even though the assignment hasn't occurred yet, somebody had to have adhered to the law within the first 90 days. So um, when you're dealing with municipal defendants, you know, even though subrogation hasn't become effective yet under Section 29.2, it is a very good idea just to file a protective notice of claim. And especially against the city of New York, you can literally do it on the comptroller's website. It's super easy. Uh, it's a pretty self-explanatory form. There's no reason not to do it. So I just wanted to point that out. Uh, the other statutes of limitations, like I said, I'm not really going to belabor it. Um, just make sure you're noting the correct applicable SOL from the start of your case. Uh, for instance, two years for wrongful death in New York and New Jersey. You know, don't think you're going to have a three-year personal injury SOL in a wrongful death case in New York. All right, second pitfall. So what's lienable or subject to a lien in New York? When I say what's lienable, I mean what have we paid that we can assert a lien on? And when I say subject to a lien, I'm referring to the type of third-party recovery itself. Lienable benefits, medical or indemnity, including in denied cases, Section 32 settlements, attorney fees in New York because they are a lien on compensation. Uh, our adversaries don't get paid unless the claimant does. Uh, IME, nurse, case manager, those types of uh, expenses we argue to include. Um, a savvy third-party attorney will tell us to take a hike, and oftentimes the amounts are so low it's not worth fighting. Um, not lienable, medical or indemnity paid in lieu of first party benefits. I'll get into that in a moment. 
Uh, recovery subject to a lien. Uh, these are rather long. Personal injury, legal and med mal, intentional wrong claims by a coworker or employer. That includes human rights claims, hostile work environment, discrimination, recovery from the Motor Vehicle Accident Indemnification Corporation, civil rights claims against employers or government entities, federal administrative payments that are a substitute for tort recovery, example, the Military Claims Act, and wrongful death. Uh, so continuing, recoveries, this is still in New York, recoveries not subject to a lien, voluntary settlement from the employer's own policy without wrongdoing or liability, underinsured motorist or uninsured motorist benefits, unless you guys agree to the contrary, and I'll talk about that in a second, uh, federal victim compensation law recovery, September 11th and Families Relief Act, a legitimate recovery for loss of consortium, and what I mean is that's typically going to end up being about 10% of the recovery for the primary defendant when you're talking about a per quad claim. So if it's allocated 50-50, chances are someone's just trying to skirt the lien. Uh, so that's what I mean by legitimate recovery. You act they actually need to prove the loss of consortium claim. Um, remember that the recovery has to match the benefits and vice versa. So a lien on malpractice, medical malpractice, is only going to be to the extent that the malpractice caused you to pay benefits. So like medical treatment and indemnity after the malpractice. Uh, a lien on wrongful death for death benefits, but not for lifetime benefits, et cetera. Again, kind of self-explanatory, match up the type of benefit payment to the type of recovery. Uh, going to New Jersey, so kind of the inverse here in that we have a lien on less types of payments, but on more types of recoveries. So disability and medical necessary to cure and relieve per section 15. Uh, the way to think about what I have a lien on in New Jersey, uh, think med, temp, and perm. Petitioner share of attorney fees and expert fees on a section 22 order approving settlement. I put the case citations there. This is a hot button issue, um, but we have gotten away with it on many cases and the New Jersey courts have yet to uh, really address the issue. So for the time being, we continue to have section 40 rights on the petitioner's share of those costs in an OAS. Uh, payments in a non-compensable case, and a Section 20 settlement if agreed contractually under Kali versus Hitachi Power Tools. So what that says is you can actually put in the Section 20 order and in the settlement affidavit and on the record that the petitioner agrees to reimburse the Section 20 from any third-party recovery. The courts have said, or in Kali versus Hitachi Power Tools, uh, the appellate division said that has nothing to do with the law saying Section 20s are not subject to Section 40. That's literally a contractual settlement agreement to reimburse the lien. So you can't agree to that and put it on the record and then refuse to do it when you settle your case. So um, most adversaries, not going to go for it. But if they'll agree to it, awesome. Uh, definitely something to include. Uh, not lienable. IME fees, court costs, legal expenses, generally not lienable. Funeral expenses, Section 20 settlements ordinarily, like we just talked about. Uh, and an additional amputation award under Section 1221. Uh, continuing with New Jersey here, types of recovery subject to a lien. Again, kind of the inverse of New York. We have uh, way more here, thanks to Frazier versus NJM. Recovery from a tortfeasor, functionally equivalent source, legal or med mal, UM, UIM claims, receivership of insolvent insurers, but not on payments made by the Guarantee Association. Uh, intentional wrong suits, those are your laid low claims in New Jersey. Dependency benefits in a wrongful death case. Uh, not subject to a lien, again, per quad claims, loss consortium, stuff like that. And once again, unless gamesmanship, Title 59 suits, but just note that that does not include uh, recoveries from other states or the federal government or the Port Authority, even if the action is brought in New York, 
uh, I'm sorry, in New Jersey, the state itself, uh, what Title 59 says is it references New Jersey public entities. So a suit against another state or municipality or the federal government or the Port Authority, even if brought in a New Jersey court, um, you can assert Section 40 rights on. Uh, same as in New York, the recovery has to match the benefit type. Third pitfall, math and chicanery, one of my favorite words. Um, so this is why we need a clothing, closing statement, itemized costs and disbursements with the actual fee and the net to the claimant. For instance, a settlement funding loan is not a cost or disbursement. The claimant cannot avoid section 29 and section 40 by moving money around. So where this will show up is you'll get the proposed closing statement from third party counsel uh, and you know they'll have net to the undersigned and um, you know net to the client, and then there will be costs and disbursements, and they'll they might have the workers' comp lien in there. There might be a medical lien. They'll have um, the filing fees, core costs, and then it'll say you know there will just be some company name, you know settlement advance or settlement funding loan for a large chunk of the settlement. No, that is not a cost or a disbursement. That's an advance on your third-party settlement, and you don't get to skirt section 29 or section 40 by getting the money early and then going, I'm oh, sorry, it's a cost now. Um, so no, don't, don't go for that, that's not a thing. Um, very common in New Jersey for attorneys to assume an automi automatic one-third reduction, minus 750. Uh, we have caught a couple of third-party attorneys with their hands in the cookie jar on this. Um, and in lieu of making a stink of it via litigation, one thing you can do to kind of get reimbursed is to knock it off of the eventual settlement of the comp case you know, the couple hundred or couple thousand dollar difference that it adds up to. But a lot of them just assume one third minus 150 comes off. No, those are the caps in New Jersey. Um, large settlements are a trigger. The bigger the settlement, the less likely it's a straight one third fee. Uh, check out New Jersey court rule 1 colon 21-7, which sort of has a step down fee arrangement as the settlement gets larger and larger and larger. Um, recent case law in New Jersey does say you average uh, the attorney's fee against the gross settlement. So just whatever the total attorney's fee ends up being across the various stages, divided by the total settlement amount equals the number that comes off the lien. Um, asbestos litigation in New York, death cases, you know, there are gonna be alternative fee arrangements depending on the type of case, the jurisdiction, all of that other stuff. So this is why we want a closing statement because it's not going to be one third every single time. Um, we want it before and after. In New York, there's actually a requirement to file with the Office of Court Administration. In both states, the claimant is required to sign off on the distribution. And we can make provision of this closing statement a requirement of our consent in New York. And yes, a failure to timely provide that could be a 29-5 violation. Um, if they won't provide it, what are your options? Well, you can advise them to file a motion because you can't do the calculation now, so better get the court involved. Um, ask for a breakdown in writing so you at least have something to hold them to if you're not inclined to be that difficult, uh, or demand a minimum reduction since the full amount can't be proven. Okay, you're not giving me your costs and fees in a proposed closing statement? All right, well, then I'm not taking off a cent over 30% because otherwise I might be prejudicing myself. I have no idea what the actual reductions are. Uh, as I'm sure you can tell by the tone of my voice, they'll play ball eventually. Um, just a New York specific addendum to our third pitfall, math and chicanery, the no fault law. Um, no lien on amounts paid in lieu of first party benefits. I think I have no less than like four or five webinars out there on this topic and talk to anyone in the office. It's literally my favorite thing to talk about. So if you ever wanna pick up the phone and just 
go over this, I'm happy to do it. Um, but we're just going to do the real broad strokes. So I want you guys to just memorialize this, this definition, if nothing else. What is basic economic loss, which you know is included in the definition of first-party benefit? Necessary medical treatment provided within the first year, it is ascertainable that further expenses may be incurred. Why does that language matter? Well, sometimes you'll get a claimant who has you know, a minor knee injury, and a year will go by, and then they'll find out from grandpa that, hey, by the way, you know, that's a schedule loss of use site, so even if it's not that bad, you could probably get something for it, and then they start treating. Well, guess what? Even if we never pay over 50000 it was not readily ascertainable in the first year that further treatment may be required. So if there's a, you know, a year delay in the, type, in the commencement of treatment, then medical is no longer paid in lieu of first-party benefits. So that's why I'm pointing that out. Indemnity up to 2K per month for not more than three years. Any indemnity paid over $2,000 per month is subject to Section 29, whether or not you've paid over 50K. Same thing for indemnity paid more than three years out from the date of loss, the exception being schedule loss use awards. Uh, reasonable and necessary expenses up to $25 per day for the first year. Note that this only applies to use or operation of a motor vehicle in the state of New York. Believe it or not, every one of those things other than state of New York, which is self-explanatory, has been defined by various cases, but um, it needs to be use or operation of a motor vehicle as defined under the law in the state of New York, within the New York geographical boundaries. Um, your consent is still required even if there is no reimbursement. Why is that? because there might be future offset rights at stake. Once you pay over 50K, uh, even if you're not entitled to reimbursement presently, you might still have Section 29 offset rights. Uh, I wanna be very clear about this because this whole webinar is about pitfalls. Never agree to anything that says the lien is waived or you are not entitled to reimbursement until you pay 50K. Every third party attorney on earth thinks that's how it works and every third party attorney on earth is incorrect. Um, there is nothing that says the first 50K is waived. There is nothing that says you're not entitled to reimbursement. What's the better wording you can use here? Carrier does not have a lien on amounts paid in lieu of first party benefits as defined in Insurance Law 5102 and set forth in Workers' Comp Law Section 291A. Um, yes, slightly more verbose, but it's going to cover you and I'll show you exactly how on the next slide. Uh, what is loss transfer? Again, um, that applies in very limited circumstances. Uh, you need a vehicle in the accident to be over 6,500 pounds unloaded or used for hire for transportation of people or property, i.e. livery vehicles, you know, UPS, FedEx, taxis, limos, tow trucks, etc. So, very quick with the math here. Um, so, here's a New York, here are two New York no-fault examples. So let's say we paid 100K, the third party settlement is 150, the attorney fee is a third, i.e. 50,000, and costs are 1,000. So 51,000 over 150 per Kelly is a 34% cost of litigation. So our lien is reduced to 50K because there's a 50K carve out, right? And then the carrier gets back the remainder minus 34%, which is $33,000. If loss transfer applies with 100% liability, loss transfer is just a negligence claim at, arb at arbitration, we can recover a total of 83,000, the 50K via loss transfer, 33,000 via section 29 lien. What if we haven't paid over 50K? Let's assume the same facts, but the carrier has only paid 40. But as part of that 40, we have um, 12 weeks of, oh yeah, 12 weeks of temporary total disability at $900 per week. 
Well, 9, 18, 27, 36, so 3,600 dollars paid per month, uh, $1,600 uh, over 2,000 per month. Remember the definition of basic economic loss over the course of three months, that's 4,800 that is paid over 2K per month. That is subject to section 29, even if we haven't paid over 50K. So how does the math work out? Well, the 4,800 is subject to section 29, so the 34% comes off, $3,168. If loss transfer applies with 100% liability, we can recover a total of 38,368. Uh, 35,200 via loss transfer, that's 40,000 minus the 4,800, because again, that's not included in the definition of first party benefits. Uh, and then the 3,168 uh, via a section 29 lien. So I know this is a little complicated in very broad strokes. If anyone ever wants to run some ideas past me or you know, uh, troubleshoot some fact patterns, I'm always happy to do it. Uh, fourth pitfall, negotiation tactics. I love this one. Uh, always recommend it to serve a Section 40D lien notice. The language is prescribed by statute. I recommend including it. And a Section 40F uh, slash Section 29.2 subrogation notices when it's ripe. Um, in both states, it's after a year. New York also includes six months after the awarding of compensation, so you can serve it a little earlier. You are holding all the cards here. Their only remedy is judicial intervention if you will not agree to a reduced number, and the courts cannot knock down the lien. I showed you Frazier versus NJM, um, which basically said that we are entitled to full reimbursement, and there's no such thing as the made whole doctrine, and there's a whole line of um, cases in New York, Fernandez versus Toyota Lease Trust and its progeny, that says that the civil court literally cannot reduce, vacate, quash, or do anything to the lien other than what the statute requires. So you're holding all the cards here. Along that same line, there is no such thing as a third, a third, a third, period. I don't care what has conventionally been done. I don't care when they say to me, I've been doing this for 25 years and I've never met a carrier as greedy as you. None of that matters. Nothing tells me I have to do this. And if you don't like it, seek judicial intervention, sorry. Um, common tactics, these are things you're going to hear about a lot. Uh, I have bad liability and I will lose if I go to trial, so you should reduce the lien so we can settle. My client will never sign off on this. Uh, you're greedy and the court will see it that way. We will just walk away or abandon prosecution. Uh, this settlement offer turns into a pumpkin at midnight. Um, this will cost you more than it costs me. Don't fall for any of this. Uh, if you need a mantra to stick by, just keep repeating no double recovery. If you're gonna walk away from the settlement, okay, great. That's why we have subrogation rights in New York and New Jersey. So go ahead and sign off on this little form saying you're abandoning your case and you're assigning your right to recover to us. Uh, if you don't, I'm gonna ask the court to find an assignment because you're voluntarily abandoning your case. And then guess what? I'll settle with the defendants for probably $10,000 less than what they were gonna pay you and they'll be happy to do it. Um, so we're holding all the cards here. Don't, don't fall for any of these you know, nonsensical litigation tactics. No attorney is gonna prosecute a case to the finish line uh, and not get their fee. And no claimant is gonna walk away over the carrier getting more money than they're actually getting. I, I promise you their sense of, you know, cosmic justice is not so great that they're gonna spike themselves. Um, fifth pitfall, not being in the room. This one's not uh, as severe, but it does matter. Uh, we are allowed formal intervener in New York and New Jersey. The bigger the lien, the higher the reserves, the more you want to seat at the table. Uh, intervening is going to get you copied on all of the discovery. You can show up at depths. Uh, it gives you a right of appearance at settlement conferences, mediations, and arbitrations. Even if you don't formally intervene, 
uh, and the parties agree to a private mediation, you can ask to attend, you know, in the interest of resolution. Uh, you can come at it from the perspective of, you know, gee, I'd really like to be able to play ball and negotiate in real time. And then you go there and just put your foot down and say no double recovery, but, you know, you're a fly on the wall in terms of negotiation. So last pitfall, feeling constrained by law. Uh, so as evidenced by Cali versus Hitachi Power Tools in New Jersey, remember I talked about um, how you can agree to a Section 20 reimbursement um, or agree to reimbursement rights on a Section 20 settlement contractually. Uh, and Matter of Stenson versus New York State Department of Transportation and Matter of Williams versus Lloyd Gunther Elevator Service in New York, you can agree contractually to whatever the heck you want. Um, Third-party consent agreement in New York is just a settlement contract. Hammer out whatever terms you feel like. Uh, feel free to get creative. So here are some examples. Uh, homogenize recoveries when the lien exceeds the third-party settlement. So say, for instance, there's a $50,000 settlement but possibly $100,000 available in UIM coverage. Well, in New Jersey, we have a right on that no matter what. Um, but we can say, you know, let's say our lien is 100K. We have a lien on every red cent of the third-party settlement, comma. Alternatively, we could figure out what the reimbursement is once you know what the UIM recovery is and combine them together and hammer it all out then. Um, similarly, in New York, uh, if we had that same situation, yeah, you don't have reimbursement rights legally on UM or UIM recoveries, but if you get to say to the claimant, hey, I have a lien on the entirety of your settlement, and if you file a motion to approve it, that's what I'm going to get. You're not going to see a dime. Alternatively, we can agree to reimburse me from the UIM recovery, and then you'll get something. Um, you know, you can actually agree contractually to rights on a UIM recovery. Uh, shift money around to ensure attorney fees is another example. You know, uh, you want to do a $0 Section 32, but our adversary wants their blood money. Okay, well, then agree in the consent agreement that, uh, yeah, we're going to pay $10,000 in fresh money. They'll get $1,500 or $2,000 out of it. And the claimant agrees to reimburse that uh, $10,000 dollar for dollar from their third-party settlement. There, our exposure has not increased at all. Fresh money is moving. This guy gets his fee. We get reimbursed dollar for dollar instead of with the Section 29 reduction. So technically, we've paid nothing extra. We've just moved money around. Uh, anticipate future litigation issues. Um, so for instance, there's a dispute over whether a Section 32 settlement is paid in lieu of first party benefits. All right, cover yourself. Put in the Section 32 settlement documents. Carrier seeking loss transfer on this Section 32 settlement. The parties agree that if uh, the, the loss transfer recovery is unsuccessful, uh, that the Section 32 is not paid in lieu of first party benefits such that the carrier has a lien on the same. Great, when they settle their third party action, suddenly you, know, you have lien reimbursement rights on the Section 32, even if you haven't paid over 50K. Um, sacrifice now for the long game, I kind of talked about that, where you, know, you can just uh, hold off on a homogenized greater recovery. Uh, freeze the lien to motivate uh, proceeding with settlement and avoid changing consideration. We talked about that too, reducing to the one-third rate or suspending benefits entirely. Uh, is a global settlement possible? In other words, uh, are we in a position where we can uh, Section 22 OAS or Section 20 the New Jersey case or Section 32 the New York case for nothing more than a lien waiver? So don't feel like you're constra constrained by uh, Section 29 in the Kelly case or Section 40 and, you know, the mandatory one, or I'm sorry, maximum one-third and maximum 750 reductions. You can get creative, everything subject to negotiation. This is the law. It's all wishy-washy anyway.
Um, final pointer, remember our leverage. Uh, both Section 40 and Section 29 entitle us to reimbursement before anything moves to the claimant. We have priority in a third-party settlement. Proper service of a Section 40D notice actually obligates the defendants to reimburse us first. They have to call up and inquire as to the lien and then pay it off dollar for dollar before anything goes to the petitioner. That's pretty darn powerful leverage. Uh, similarly, service of a Section 29-2 or Section 40F subrogation notice gives you powerful leverage. Why? Oh, my client will never go for a settlement where they're not getting any money. Okay, great. I'll take over prosecution and settle for less than what they're probably paying you. That's what Section 29-2 and Section 40-F allow me to do. And by the way, it's going to bar your right to continue pursuing your claim, so your client will get nothing, and I'll get more than I'm getting under the current setup. So that's your other option. That is tremendously powerful leverage. Uh, we have reimbursement, subrogation, and credit and offset rights, three different rights under both statutes. Their only option is to seek judicial approval uh, of the settlement and the reimbursement amount. And as we talked about, courts are without power to reduce the lien. Uh, written consent or compromise order is actually required in New York under 29.5. Uh, remember, both third-party counsel and the claimant want their money too. Uh, so practically, they're not going to walk away from money after litigating. Again, there's no such thing as a third, a third, a third. And finally, as per the last slide, get creative. Uh, if you're trying to figure out how to get back more money or maybe leverage closure of the comp case, um, you know, feel free to agree to something contractually. You know, use these rights that you have under both statutes to get back more than what the law says you should get. All right, let's get to the live question and answer portion. Um, wow, 3.25 p.m. I was rambling for quite a while. Apologies, folks. Uh, all right, I popped out the questions box, and unless I'm doing this incorrectly, I do not see any. But uh, as I mentioned, I love talking about this stuff, so always feel free to reach out. Uh, in the meantime, uh, happy spring, everyone. Enjoy the nice weather, and I will see you next time.